the renal system plays a really big role in the, in the cardiac system for the following reasons. Kidney has a very important, very big role regarding blood pressure. So it doesn't just filter. Oh, I gotta go. I've been working, told them please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog. Swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this day. Now my fan, they can't eat. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Peter and Matt, two nurses on a mission to change this world, one conversation at a time. If you find value in the show, it would mean absolutely everything to us if you please share and review the show. Cupofnurses.com for the latest updates, merch releases, and show notes. For our lifestyle podcast, you can check out wearefrontlinewarriors.com. In this episode, we will talk about the renal system. Specifically, the anatomy of the kidney, how it filters blood and converts it into urine for excretion, and the RAS system, the way our kidneys regulate our blood pressure. And also, if you guys want to learn more about kidney disease or any kind of kidney issues, you can check our episode 90. That's all about any kind of diseases in, in the nephron or, or the kidney. And I think the kidney system is pretty easy to grasp. It's very simple. But it's also very crucial in the hospital. We always look at urine. We're obsessed with urine, just like we are obsessed with poop and stool. We bladder scan our patients if they're not retaining. If there's a Foley, there's low urine. Sometimes we'll flush it a few times to see if we're getting any urine. If are they just dry, we'll bladder scan. And if they're sometimes if they have a Foley and they're peeing less than 30 cc's an hour, we'll sometimes ask the physician for a fluid bolus and keep assessing. So the kidneys are very vital in the healthcare system and general nursing and making sure the patient is a-okay. Mm. So a little bit of background of the kidneys, a little bit of anatomy you could say is your kidneys are located on either side of the spine at the lowest level of the rib cage. And they have something called nephron, which is the actual functional unit of the actual kidney. And there is about 1 million nephrons in each kidney. And these nephrons consist of tiny blood vessels called the glomerulus. 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 Took us a little bit to figure out how to pronounce that word from nursing school. And these glomerulus are also attached to a tubule. So that's the kind of functional aspect of, of the actual kidney. Like we think of us, the kidney, um, whatever's inside is, is what's responsible for this filtration, this ultrafiltration, this maintenance of your pH and of your different electrolytes. Uh, but the nephron and the glomerulus are the actual functional parts, and you can say they're one of the most important parts of the actual of the actual kidney. Um, we're not going to dive completely into every single anatomical part of the kidney, just just the ones that are most important for nurses and for nursing. Some that you're going to learn about in school and the parts that we actually deal with on daily basis in in the hospital. So the reason why the kidney is so important, it keeps a well balance of water and electrolytes in the body and removes any excess waste. And that's what's also beautiful about this human body is we have all these minerals, electrolytes, whatever we don't need. Simply, we just release the floodgates and get rid mm. of anything extra that would be toxic. So one of those things is removing waste such as urea, ammonia from the blood. And we maintain a balance between water and salt. So sometimes we retain water or release it depending on what's happening in the bloodstream. We maintain a fine balance of pH between acid and base in the blood. And also 
the kidneys help assist some endocrine functions such as producing erythropoietin and calcitriol. Erythropoietin. Erythropoietin, yeah. I remember those shots you give like once or twice to the mm. kidney disease patients in the hospital. And that's needed to produce red blood cells and for calcium reabsorption. Mm. They also produce renin. It's an enzyme, something we'll get, get into a little bit later on in the episode, but its main function is to help regulate blood pressure. And it's a big part of the whole RAS system that, that we normally associate with, with kidneys and our renal system. It also converts vitamin D into its active form so our body could actually use it and uh, make those hormones that vitamin D is responsible for. Uh, some fun facts. Uh, every 24 hours, your kidney filters about 200 quarts of fluid. Um, another fun fact is the right kidney is a- actually sits lower than the left because remember you have your liver on your right side, so it has to go a little bit lower to accommodate for that big size of the liver. And third fun fact is we're gonna hear a lot of uh, a lot of times us saying the words reabsorption instead of absorption because the majority of the nutrients and all the um, electrolytes, all those kind of things, they get absorbed in your intestines. So we can't really say it's absorbed, it's getting reabsorbed because your kidney doesn't necessarily absorb anything. It just reabsorbs whatever is, is sent there. So that's a little bit of a interesting and fun fact. There's actually no absorption that goes on, just reabsorption in the kidneys because your kidneys doesn't process things like your GI tract does. Most of the foods that we eat, they get broken down in our GI tract and that's where the actual absorption actually happens. And the kidneys just the reabsorption. So you want to dive into like the important parts of the kidney? You want it? So we have the renal capsule which is the outer layer of the kidney, and that protects the kidney f- from the outside organ from different, um, like, let's just say, traumas or anything that would happen or, in general, just infections. Then within that, you have the renal cortex. This is the outside layer that contains the renal corpuscles, which house the glomerulus and Bowman's capsule, whose primary functions are to filter the urine and the renal tubules. Uh, there's also, we have like a little image online on our show notes as well that you can check out on companies.com to give you a better understanding of this whole anatomy because sometimes talking about anatomy and trying to explain where it's located, how it's located, how it looks, it's a little bit difficult versus the actual drown out uh, portion. We actually have a kidney and it shows you all the anatomical parts of it. Yeah. And then we have the renal medulla, which is inside the renal pyramid and it contains a hypertonic, very salty form or function and it's part of the nephron alongside which helps maintain the water and salt balance in your body specifically in the loop of henley mm. next we have the renal artery just like a lot of the, all the arteries it pushes blood away from the heart so it takes oxygenated blood from the heart and moves it into the kidneys to actually be filtered so our body pushes blood into the heart and from the heart it goes to the kidneys where then it could get processed all the electrolytes all those other things in there Toxins get filtered out um, in, in the kidney, but you initially get that blood from the heart via the renal artery. Then you have the renal vein, which takes deoxygenated blood out of the kidney and helps reoxygenate it when it gets pumped into the heart. The renal pyramids, they lie within the renal medulla. It contains the loop of Henle and parts of the collecting tubule as well. The next one is renal papilla. And it's a pointed projection in the renal pyramid, which reminds me of like a grapefruit, the way it's kind of structured on that picture that we have. And it plays a role in draining the urine alongside the pelvis, the renal pelvis into the ureters, the bladder, and then out through the urethra. And then you have the nephrons, like I mentioned a little bit ago, this is the, the actual functional part of the kidney. It filters blood via the renal corpuscles. 
It reabsorbs minerals, water, and also secretes waste via the renal tubule. Produces urine, which drains down into the ureters, and then is stored in the bladder, and then eventually voided out via the urethra. And each nephron is composed of a few things. Each nephron has a renal corpuscle, it has a proximal tubule, an intermediate tubule, also known as loop of Henle, and also it contains a distal convoluted tubule, a connecting tubule, and cortical, outer medullary, and inner medullary collecting ducts. So those are kind of like the smaller portions that you might not have to know on an exam, but it's also uh, good to know. Nef- like I said, nephron is the is the most functional part of the kidney, so it does have a lot of parts into it, and this is like the main thing you'll probably have to know on your NCLEX or just any kind of med search class or any kind of um, nursing education for the most part. And we have two more. So we have the glomerulus, which lies within the nephron, and it's like a circular capillary. So if you think about it, that's where like the end of the the capillaries like in the fingertips where the deoxygen the the nutrition is given to the cells and that's where there's a lot of pressure because it's the smallest functioning part almost just like the uh the nephron and that's where the ultra filtration happens so you have the 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 change between the salt the other electrolytes and also the ions and then the bowman's capsule it just forms a cup like sac around the glomerulus and that basically it helps filter the blood so there's like a little space in between then where we'll talk about in a little bit well some of the filtrate goes from the the glomerulus into that that bowman's capsule like i said it's kind of hard to explain the anatomy of things without looking at it so uh, definitely look at some pictures they'll be a little bit more beneficial than us just kind of explaining it and how it looks it's just a little bit better for memory when you're actually looking at anatomy and you physically see the, the thing in front of you yeah i feel like i feel like i'm uh, i'm on a magic school bus mm. We're taking a dive into the kidneys. We're exploring different parts, see what's going on and all that. Mm. And now we're going to talk about the nephron and blood supply. So the blood enters into the afferent arteriole, and blood gets sent into the first part of the nephron called the glomerulus. So in this glomerulus is where the actual filtration happens. There is, there's a liquid consistency, a liquid consistent like fluid, which is the collection, uh, which takes particles away from the blood. And this is where the filtrate will drip down into the capsule that surrounds the glomerulus called the Bowman's capsule. And this is what we mean that that's, the Bowman's capsule is the sac that gets attached um, and the outside. And think about it like hypertonic, hypotonic, salt follows and everything else. So if you pull salt, water will follow it. And with it, it takes all those um, different filtration that gets filtered out, such as sodium, chloride, calcium, potassium, magnesium, phosphate, bicarb, amino acids, glucose, creatine, creatinine, and urea. Mm. So you, the body, that's so just, just fascinating how much of those electrolytes the kidney filtrates. Yeah. Uh, then that the filtrate, that filtered blood exits via the efferent areoli. So think about afferent as coming in and efferent as, as exiting. So A and E, E is for exiting. Uh, it goes from the uh, the efferent areoles to the peritubular capillaries that then surround the, the nephrons. The peritubular capillaries carry the reabsorbed nutrients from the filtrate back into the body system to the renal vein and secrete urea, ions, and drugs found in the blood into the tubules. The creative filtrate then flows through the proximal convoluted tubules, also known as PCT, 
Here, the tubule reabsorbs most of the parts of the filtrate that we need to function that just came from the Bowman's capsule. So it's interesting because in, during this part, your blood is being, being filtered through these things. And then once it gets to the, the PCTs and the tubules, it actually gets reabsorbed again because your body kind of dumps it out. And then it's like, okay, we dumped it out. Now we got to figure out what we actually really need. And that's, that's where, where you had the reabsorption happen. And that function is usually in the, in the PCTs. Then a filtrate enters loop of Henle. We are now in the renal medulla. The loop of Henle has a descending limb and an ascending limb. Its goal is to concentrate the urine via the renal medulla. The renal medulla's interstitial fluid is very hypertonic, helping reabsorb water from the filtrate to maintain the body's water and salt balance. And also remember that the descending limb is only permeable to water. So water is only going to shift back and forth versus the ascending limb is only permeable to ions. So only ions will move back and forth. So one part of it filters out the water and the other part of it filters out the ions. So descending filters out water. So think of descending going down. Where does water go? It goes down. So descending down water, descending limb is going to be permeable to water. And then you have the ascending limb, which is only permeable to ions. Good way to remember it. Yeah. So after the we're we're at the renal medulla now, then the filtrate goes into the distal convoluted tubule, which is after the PCT, and that's where most of the substance either get reabsorbed or secreted, depending on what happens. So that's that second phase. Then it travels to the collecting tubules, where parts of the filtrate will once again be reabsorbed, or finally the filtrate would either leave those collecting tubules, which is in the form of urine already, then travels to the renal papilla the minor major calyx, the renal pelvis, and out through the ureters, into the bladder, and then out to the urethra. Yeah, this is definitely something you're going to need to know if you're in your nursing fundamentals class. You have to, you're going to have to know how urine is formed. That's one of the bases of nursing. If you don't know how blood enters the kidney, what happens there and how it leaves, then you're not gonna be able to treat patient properly in, in the hospital. You have to know how, how that works. You have to first understand the kidney, the nephron. You have to know all these anatomical terms because when you come to give your patient diuretics, different diuretics work on different things. For example, loop diuretics, they work on loop of Henley. So we'll probably do an episode more on diuretics and medications. This we're doing more geared just towards the, the, um, the renal system itself. But this is like the, the basic, they call it fundamentals because you have to know how these systems work and what they do for then you to have the ability to understand why we give certain medications and how those medications impact different functions of each system and so on and so forth. And if you think about kidney disease, let's just take a moment here to think about the nephron itself. So the filtering part of the functioning part of the kidney, we have such a fine process here between acid and base, ultra filtration, the way the, the filtrate gets processed through all these tubes now add into things like glucose and things that you have to overcompensate by the kidneys to excrete, such as having a lot of glucose. Glucose is a larger molecule, starts damaging these delicate nephrons, which ultimately starts leading to poor filtration, ultimately kidney disease. Okay. Same thing with hypertension, right? You have this fine system with perfect pressure, which creates ultra, ultra filtration, but weight, having way too much pressure in these capillaries over time starts hurting the system where you start getting kidney disease. Same thing with the left ventricle and heart disease. As an example, you have way too much pressure for a long time with the left ventricle. It starts overcompensating by either getting too big or too small in this case, which leads to heart failure. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because the renal system plays a really big role in the in the cardiac system for the following reasons. Kidney has a very important, very big role regarding blood pressure. So it doesn't just filter your blood and turn it into urine. It also plays a very vital role in maintaining your blood pressure. And with that being said, the main mechanism or the main system that's responsible for maintaining blood pressure that's in the kidneys is called the RAS system, the renin angiotensin aldosterone system. It's a, a system with hormones, proteins, and enzymes and reactions that regulate your blood pressure and blood volume on a long-term basis. It regulates your blood pressure by increasing sodium reabsorption, water reabsorption, and a vascular tone. So it helps with, with all of that. And the, the main reason being with the, the main reason how it impacts your, your blood pressure is just the, the whole fluid volume shift. Um, to raise your blood pressure, you want to increase volume to lower blood pressure. It decreases the, the, the volume of, of the blood, you could say, of the water. And the RAS system co consists of three major substances. One is renin, which is an enzyme, angiotensin II, which is a hormone, and aldosterone, which is also a hormone. And all three of these play a role, and it's a cascade of effects. One thing leads to another. And these three things play a giant role, role as a RAS system to help maintain fluid volume and that leading to the effects on your blood pressure. Yeah, and the end goal is the angiotensin II. So we'll go to the process of how the RAS system works. But the end goal is you create a hormone called angiotensin II, which increases vasoconstriction, which increases blood pressure, which ultimately, just like you said, fluid volume, right? Conserves sodium and water and aldosterone, which is ADH, antidiuretic hormone is released to maintain this pressure. Uh, so if we're going through the steps, you have like barrel receptors in the blood. It's, main, it's basically in charge of sensing when things are off. Your body feels there's low, low blood pressure. The sympathetic nervous system gets activated. It sends, sends impulses into the juxtaglomular cells in the kidney, which says release renin. Then renin gets presented into the blood, gets activated into angiotensin in the liver. Then the liver turns that into, into angiotensin 1, which releases ACE. And so that's where the yeah. ACE inhibitors come in. So it goes from angiotensinogen in the liver to then angiotensin 1. Like you said, they're the release of the ACE. And then ACE is the angiotensin converting enzyme. So ACE converts angiotensin 1 into angiotensin 2. And you need that angiotensin 2 because once you have that angiotensin 2 in your system, it has a cascade of effects. So angiotensin 2 activation will cause 1 vasoconstriction, which increases systemic vascular resistance and blood pressure. So your SVR and blood pressure goes up because you had the vasoconstriction going on. It also increases blood volume. Kidneys will keep water and sodium. So it's going to retain sodium and the water is going to follow the sodium. So it's retaining both technically. And then in the adrenal cortex will be triggered and angiotensin 2 to then be turned to aldosterone, like Matt mentioned a little bit ago. And then aldosterone will also cause the kidneys to keep sodium and water while excreting potassium. So it's almost like a double whammy of, of sodium absorption and water absorption. And also in your pituitary gland, so your pituitary gland will be triggered by angiotensin II to release ADH. ADH will then cause the kidneys to keep water. So there's like three different mechanisms of actions that angiotensin II does to hold on to water, all while causing that systemic vascular resistance and constricting your, your blood vessels. And then you have that increase in blood pressure that, that, that we need. And um, 
it's interesting when we do pressers because they affect your kidneys in a sense too and you can't run pressers for a long time because you're going to cause kidney damage because this this system this last system it's like you're turn that engine on in the kidney and it can and the engine can only run for so long before it needs a break and with pressers that engine is running 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 and that's why you see a lot of kidney issues develop in in patients that have pressers the same way if you have a dialysis patient where a lot lot more we're a lot more kind of restrictive in a sense of what pressures we use because certain pressures rev the, that system up a little bit more so we're very hesitant on starting pressures on kidney failure patients because at one sense, we don't want to rev the kidney a lot, but then it's like a fine balance as well because it's like how low can we manage his blood pressure before then we start to lose blood supply to the kidneys and then damage him that way. So it's like a, like a fine balance of poor perfusion to the kidneys they have to manage, but also not revving the engine too much with these pressures. And it's a crazy kind of, um, just like with anything, <laughs> just like with any kind of medication, it's like a little bit of fine balance. You want to give just enough so you don't cause damage, but you don't want to give too much because your kidneys can tolerate some kind of restricted blood flow in a sense. Yeah, I think that's what makes it hard when you have like those congestive heart failure patients where we want to limit volume with the kidneys and we're diuresing them so um, so intensely where their creatinine is rising and then we have all these issues. And I want to do another episode to talk about what we do and things like that, which is interesting how we do these we do these tests with Lasix and different things to see how much the kidney is actually going to dump out to see if we could lower down the the creatine levels. And then what are the steps before we actually have to hop on dialysis, which is very toxic to the body. I forgot what that um, disease process is. There's equilibrium in the brain the first time you get dialysis. You're going to like shock. Mm. I forgot what it's called too. Yeah, there's just so much to remember. It's like it's like it's like on this podcast, we have to be the specialist of every disease sometimes to bring it up. And that's why it's nice to have these episodes and refresh just to know, you know, how every single system works, what you should be looking out for. But when it comes to the kidneys, it's pretty simple in the hospital, right? We're just looking at urine. So if you have a patient who doesn't have a foley, it's like how many times have they peed? If they are having issues with lower urine output. Maybe you should get a hat in the urinal and get some eyes and nose on them and see what the, how are we tracking them to see if they need more uh, fluid. Maybe they need a Lasix push and help the kidneys kind of rev up, just like you said, the system to start producing urine. Mm. Yeah, even with electrolytes, getting electrolytes, if you have somebody on dialysis, maybe you would give a, a person that has healthy kidneys maybe 40 milligrams of potassium. But if someone has poor kidney function, their creatinine is, is high, they're not making urine. You might want to give them the 10 mil equivalents or 20 mil equivalents. You want to you wanna dose it based on the patient's kidney function. That's why a lot of times in this current place that we work at, when it comes to giving patients electrolytes, a lot of times the doctor says, I'm going to defer it to the pharmacist because the pharmacist then looks at the, the kidney function and how much potassium is appropriate based on the kidney function to give to this patient so that we don't overdose overdose them on, on potassium and throw them into like cardiac arrhythmia. Yeah. And the beautiful thing with pharmacy and all that thing in healthcare is that critical thinking piece for the most part gets taken away. You'll have some cases where you have to critically think about it. But if you have a consultation for nephrology, they'll limit the protocols where you're not giving potassium or it says, hey, give potassium, but if creatinine is above 1.5 or 2.0, hold and consult because of the kidney function. You don't want to give potassium to a patient that's barely excreting the potassium to begin in, begin with, and you're going to get hyperkalemia. Just like you see patients that have lower GFR rates, 
that are getting into CKD, chronic kidney disease, you're going to see like their mag, their FOS, their K, sometimes their sodium, all out of whack. And that's where dialysis is going to come in to filter all that out because like, like we talked about, the kidney's in charge of all that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you guys for your time. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you nursing students got some education about the anatomy of the kidney, the RAS system, the function of the nephron. And if you're, you're a travel nurse or a staff nurse, or any kind of nurse, I hope we refresh your knowledge a little bit on the whole renal system. Deuces, guys. Thank you. See you next Friday.